Forward Thinking CFO podcast is brought to you by the team at Numeritas, your financial modelling partner. We are trusted modelling advisors to global leaders, ranging from FTSE 100 corporations to major infrastructure providers to fund managers with billions under management. But we are more than just modellers. Our team are true experts who understand your business and create solutions to help you overcome your challenges and give you the confidence that you need to make your critical business decisions. To find out more about how we can help you solve your toughest business challenges, please visit our website at numeritas.co.uk. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Forward Thinking CFO podcast. My name is Stephen Aldridge, Managing Director at Numeritas and one of your hosts for this series. Today's guest is the first non-CFO to feature on the podcast, but it's fair to say he has a profound impact on almost every finance professional's working life. I've had the pleasure of sitting down with Microsoft's Head of Product for Excel, Brian Jones, and we had so much to talk about that we've decided to split this episode into a two-part special for you. Having started his career at Microsoft more than 20 years ago, Brian now leads all Excel development and is responsible for keeping Excel at the cutting edge of what's possible. In today's part one, we talk everything Excel, including how Microsoft's commitment to nurturing creativity and collaboration are key to the success of Excel and the entire office suite, how customers are constantly pushing Excel's boundaries to create their own ingenious solutions and applications, and the increasing value of artificial intelligence in helping users get the most from Excel. It was fascinating to hear about Brian's journey at Microsoft and get a behind-the-scenes peek into Excel's development. This episode will give you a much deeper understanding of Excel's growing capabilities and what it takes to keep a product like this at the top of its game for so many years. This is just part one, and if you enjoy this, you'll definitely want to take a note to come back for part two next week. With all that said, minimise that spreadsheet you're working on Sit back and enjoy today's episode with Brian Jones. So it's a pleasure to welcome Brian Jones. Welcome, Brian, to the podcast. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Good. It's great to have you on. And uh, you are, have the uh, dubious honour of being our first non-CFO guest uh, on the podcast, but uh, in your role as head of product for Excel, then I think everybody listening will be keen to hear what you've got to say. It's, uh, it's something close to all of our hearts in finance. That's great. Yeah, it's a little intimidating being on a CFO podcast and being a, a tech guy. Uh, so hopefully uh, I don't disappoint. Um. No problem. No, no, I'm sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of interesting things to talk about. To get us kicked off, perhaps you could uh, give us a little bit of background of uh, how you got to the position you're in today and, you know, any key career moments and uh, turning points. Yeah, sure. So I've been at uh, Microsoft for about 21 years. I came straight out of college, local. I went to the University of Washington. I was an uh, electrical engineer in school, but started to really get interested in software through some internships. And then when I got the offer from Microsoft, I was pretty excited. I started off on the Word team. And it's funny, when I joined the team, I was kind of debating whether or not I really wanted to to do that because I was wondering, well, Word seems pretty done. Like what, what possible things could you go and add to Word? And then as always, once you take on a job and you start really talking to customers and getting more involved in the technology, you start to really see uh, all the huge possibilities. So I, d- I did that for about 10 years and 
there were a number of things that I worked on on the Word team that spanned across the whole office suite. So Excel, PowerPoint, one of the more significant ones being what at the time was designing new file formats. So DOCX, PPTX, XLSX, which, you know, you wouldn't call new anymore. It's like 15 years ago. I still refer to them as new for some reason. But I helped kind of coordinate and drive that. And one of the big kind of neat experiences there was that we actually decided to go and turn it into an international standard. And so we submitted it to ECMO, which is a standards body, and then eventually took it to the ISO, the International Standards Organization. So that was pretty that was pretty interesting, getting exposed to the standards process. Uh, you go around and talk to a lot of governments and work with them on making sure that you know the things that they'd expect to see in an international standard are there. Uh, and so that's probably the first exposure I got in that in my job to Excel. Uh, that it was Excel was clearly the most complex of the three apps when we started to look at standardizing the file format, just given all of the legacy and the huge broad set of cases in which people would go and use the product, right? From that, I moved into starting up a extensibility programmability team. Uh, we had, you know, Office has always had a really rich extensibility model with things like VBA and COM add-ins, but we were starting to move more cross-platform. We had just started launching our web applications and we realized that we needed a more modern extensibility model that could work across all the platforms we had run. We were starting to look at mobile but hadn't done mobile yet, but just just had launching our web applications, we realized that things like COM and VBA weren't really going to work well uh, in that kind of a model. So we started up a new kind of HTML, JavaScript-based uh, extensibility model. We refer to them now, I think, as web add-ins. We kind of went back and forth on a bunch of different names. The internal name we had from was uh, Agaves, which if you ever read any of the internal docs, sometimes you'll still see us refer to them as that. And uh, I did that for probably about five or six years, expanded the team to also focus on extensibility across SharePoint as well. Uh, so it was kind of a broader office extensibility team. And then after that, I started to get closer into like this kind of this my next step closer to Excel as I took on the access team uh, and started working on that. And we were exploring ways of evolving access into kind of the new model of web and cloud and services. And I didn't do that for long. And the Excel opportunity opened up. The person who had my job before and is actually now my boss, he got promoted to take on a broader role. And he and I started talking and I decided to step into the role. And that was that's probably, I think it's going to be five years coming up this summer that I've been in, in role leading the, uh, the Excel product team. Yeah, no, that's, uh, so you've kind of been across most of the products, as you say there. And uh, I imagine you've got a very broad view of what goes on in Microsoft, perhaps more than, than most people. So, I mean, across those products, you've given us a bit of a, an indication. Is there anything that stands out from that, uh, at that time? You know, any, any kind of highlights that, uh, you know, where, where there's been um, the big changes? You, you already talked a bit about the file format change and so on, but is there something, any other major events that have happened kind of corporate-wide? There have been so many significant events, right? The Clearly, the move to the cloud was huge for us, really rethinking. It caused us to rethink both in terms of just how customers get our software, but how we go and develop and evolve software. Uh, you know, when I was a more what we would call like an individual contributor when I wasn't in the manager role. And so I would be, you know, leading specific feature areas. 
that was back when we would ship every three years, right? And so the process that you would have where you spend six months going off a meeting with customers, then you'd spend another six months writing specs and working with the, the core developers to figure out what you could kind of afford to go and build another year or so of actually building the thing. And then the final year of iterating on fixing bugs, fixing issues, finally deploying it. And then usually it'd be another like three to five years before people would, customers would actually really fully get the thing deployed. And so from the point of idea to where you're really seeing how people are using the product could be like 10 years, right? And clearly we all know how our careers evolve over a 10 year period. Like you're- The world changes a lot in 10 years, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. By the time people are actually using that feature and you could go and potentially take the feedback and iterate on it, you've already moved on to the to the next thing, right? And so a lot of the ways that we would measure ourselves at the time was more about the excitement that the feature would drive, right? How much would marketing go and pick it up and talk to it? How much would it go and drive purchase decisions? But we never really got to look at how deeply used was it and how engaged people get with it. You know, fast forward now to where we release, even the rich clients, we release every single month a new version of the rich clients, right? Uh, our web app, you know, daily. It really gives us a chance to to go and when we invest in a feature and we set up a, like a, a crew of folks to go and build something, we really fund them for a long period of time where they can go and release the feature, but then iterate over a long period of time, look at see and see how is it used, have great telemetry in place so you can see is it actually is it being used in the way that you'd predicted? And if not, are there some ways that you should go and evolve it? It's a lot easier for us to go and work directly with customers and have them go and deploy the bits and actually work alongside them. So we're actually able to do a lot more development alongside customers, which was a lot harder to do uh, before. And so the way that we ship software has changed so dramatically. And it's exciting as a product person to really be able to focus much more on your goals are around the usage and engagement as opposed to whether or not it's, it's something that's just kind of exciting and is going to show up on the box. Right. Um, and so that's, I'd say that's probably the most dramatic change in terms of my day-to-day -day job. Sure. Yeah. And, and we'll, we can talk a little bit about uh, functions of features in a minute. You've hit on something there though, with, in terms of the change in the company. And I, I, I was lucky enough to visit the, the campus there at Redmond uh, a few years ago now, but I was quite struck by the, you know, the way people were behaving and, you know, the, the culture and style and so on. I'm interested to hear a bit about that from you and what, what do you think of the culture? And uh, you know, is there something about that that's helped Microsoft become such a successful company? Yeah, it's definitely, I have like one suit that I only wear when I go off to meet with specific industries, Right. Other than that, I usually just wear like sandals and shorts and a t-shirt. So yeah, the, the culture is a very, the key thing for us and our key success is driving like creativity, right? And so we try and do everything we can to create a really nurturing culture, you know, the big focus on diversity and inclusion, making sure that we have a pretty broad, diverse team and we create a culture where everyone feels like they can contribute in kind of their own way, right? You know, and so we don't there's obviously there's nothing like a dress code or anything like that. And, you know, the key the key to our success is collaboration and getting all the teams to work together like it's there's the Excel team. But I'd, I spend just as much time working with my team as I do working with all of our partner teams. Just Office, if you just think about Word, Excel and PowerPoint, there's those three key teams, Word, Excel and PowerPoint. But there's also another 
I'd say dozen or so teams that contribute pieces into Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, build a bunch of the shared infrastructure. And you, you'll see this if you look at like just our UI, like the ribbon itself, right? The way that you go and deal with the commands in the application, that's built by a shared team, right? And then it's integrated into the product. The way that we go and upload files to SharePoint, right? So a lot of the work that we do is is collaborative. And so there's a ton of work. That, and it's actually one of the things that's probably really been interesting now with everybody working from home, right? Is figuring out how to kind of keep that highly collaborative nature. And, you know, a lot of the work that we have been doing around office space and making it easier to go and quickly go and have impromptu meetings with different groups and different, different partner teams. Now we're figuring out how to do all of that remotely. Yeah. In some ways, I think um, it's almost easier to, to have those quick little meetings. Now, if, you, if you're not, uh, you know, sitting in the same office or near to somebody, you can just buzz them in on, on Teams. Can't you? It's, it's, it makes life uh, really easy in that, in that respect. Yeah, you are uh, I did your LinkedIn profile and it says on there that you've got 22 patents to your name. Now, I've got one patent to my name, which which I was quite proud of, but 22 is impressive. Is there something there you can tell us about? Are these, um, are these really geeky things? or? Uh, uh, it's funny. What? It's actually, I don't know how the, the list got onto LinkedIn. I think I entered a few of them in at one point and other people that had had some of the patents would add, add me to it if I was on it. I think it's actually, I think I actually have closer to a hundred. Oh, they're underselling you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is like a lot of it is, is pretty geeky stuff, right? It'll be pretty subtle. Like when we were doing, a lot of them came more earlier on in my career. I'd say now I can't remember the last patent I got. Just, I feel like even if I do somewhat get involved, it's really more like the the feature crew that really is the one that that does the innovation there, right? And so a lot of them was more when I was from being on the Word team. Uh, but yeah, it would be like really, sometimes it'd be like some of the challenging things, like when we were doing the new file format, uh, we'd come up with pretty novel ways because Word, it, our file format is is uh, XML based. So it's a structured markup language for going and representing the file format. If you've never tried it out, you can actually go and just rename any any Office document, change the extension to .zip because it's just a zip file and you double click on it and you'll see a bunch of XML files in there and you can start to kind of navigate. But, you know, Word is this very unstructured program, actually, like even like paragraphs aren't a structured object. It's more that there's just a line, a string of text, and then there'll be a little marker that's a paragraph marker that just says, okay, time for the next paragraph. And so there's a lot of stuff that we'd have to do, for instance, around figuring out how do you go and take this really unstructured thing and try and represent it in something that's structured. But there are also other ones that were like one of the things that I really spent a lot of time when I was on the Word team, and I think this is kind of what led into me getting so excited about just extensibility in general uh, and, and programmability of Office was trying to figure out how to make Word a little bit more structured so that you could build solutions around it, program against it. And so we introduced at one point the ability to go and have your own custom XML uh, as a way of marking up the Word document. And then that evolved into a feature that exists now that's called content controls where you really get a structured and forced part of the Word doc that you can then write programs against and, and address. So a lot of those patents are actually more from uh, some of those innovations, you know, 15 plus years ago. We spend a lot of time when, when we bring people into our company, sort of getting them up to speed with Excel and uh, some of the finer points. For you taking on the role of head of Excel product, although you, you'd had exposure to quite a bit of Excel before by sound of it, that must have been a fairly steep learning curve. <laughs> so how, how much of Excel did you feel like you already knew 
and to what extent do you need to in the role you're playing, I guess? And, and um, you know, how much more of that have you taken on since? If I was going to imagine the line chart uh, where there's two lines, my knowledge of Excel and what I think my knowledge of Excel is, like clearly what I thought my knowledge of, it was very high. And over the past five years, it's continued to go down more and more as I realize how much I don't know. And at the same time, I've learned just an incredible amount over the past five years. The beauty of the product is that it's this very flexible, horizontal tool that can be used for an immense amount of things. Like That's why I've continued to work in office in general, is that I love working on horizontal tools. You know, at some point, I, I think it, probably, it might be fun to try to go build some vertical stuff. Um, but the horizontal nature is so great because of that flexibility, and it allows... It just really empowers people to continue to evolve how they use the product as their own business processes change. And so the thing for me is I no longer have this surprise when I hear about new features or things like that or areas of the product that I hadn't understood. For the most part, I feel like I've got a pretty good handle of that. The thing that really I get more surprised by is just the ways in which people use the product, right? Like when we go and meet with new customers or even when you go and see like some blog post where you see some way that somebody's used Excel to solve a problem and you're just blown away. And that's the same thing. I mean, Excel is, at the end of the day, it's a programming language, right? It's a programming language for non-developers. And, you know, it, when you go and build the iPhone, you get blown away by the amazing apps that people go and create for the iPhone. It's the same for Excel. We build Excel and we get blown away by the amazing spreadsheets and ways that people use it to go and solve their problems. Yeah, that was one of the, the next things I was going to ask you about, actually, because uh, I've seen some weird and wonderful things people have used Excel for. But I, I imagine you've seen all sorts uh, because, you know, you will get shown them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you must have seen some, some weird and wonderful things. One interest to know what's the kind of strangest thing you've seen Excel used for. And then also, when you're new to the product, if you come to this new, I'm, I'm fortunate in having had like 30 years to, to grow up with Excel and, and I've kind of learned it over a long period of time. And, and I, I agree with what you were saying there, actually, by the way, about I think uh, the longer you've used it, the less you think you know of it because you just figure out how much more of it there is there. <laughs> yeah, so so what's the weirdest thing? And and then in terms of how do you get on board with Excel and maybe sort of get, get to know the, the, the key features of the product, is there a path that you would recommend people take? Yeah, I'll talk about the first one, the weirdest thing. I mean, really, again, because it's this horizontal tool, like, you know, people use Excel to do art. People build games in Excel. There's a game, Dragon Warrior, that I saw someone went and built using Excel, uh, and they didn't need to use any VBA for it. I mean, I think that as soon as you add VBA in at that point, yeah, you can kind of build any application you want, right? Excel is just kind of like an interesting wrapper or host. But like the things that I get really blown away is when people really use the kind of soul of the product, which is the grid and the formula language, right? And right. it's amazing what people can go and build there. So there's a bunch of these novel ones that you'll see, you know, like artwork and things like that. In fact, I've got a piece of art on my on my wall in the background that's uh, the Seattle skyline that an artist from uh, Australia, she went to create. I saw a post uh, of that. I think you put a picture on uh, LinkedIn, presumably. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, I posted that just uh, a couple months ago. I'd actually been holding out. I was going to put it um, in my office at work, and I finally broke down and realized that this office here at home is going to kind of be my office for a while. Uh, so I just hung it up here eventually. But, you know, the couple that stood out to me most recently, and I think this is one of those ones where, like, if you asked me this question a month from now, I'd have a new answer. 
But there's one kind of fun one that I haven't met the person. I just saw a post that they did on on YouTube actually, where they were involved in uh, building construction and they were doing an analysis on heating and the impact of sun and window placement. And they essentially had built up this full model where it could go and map out kind of the heat distribution within each floor. And you could go and quickly and just in the Excel model start to change around what angle the sunlight was coming in on. So you could play around with different positions of the building as well as how tall the windows would be. And it would go and show this like heat map for each floor, right? And it was, it was, it was incredible, right? Like no VBA again or anything. It was just building this model. And it's one of those ones where you're looking at it and you can imagine how it probably started from a really basic analysis and then just grew and evolved over, you know, could, could have been several years, which is like the beauty of these spreadsheets, right? Where people just continue to go and play around and add a little bit more logic and a little bit more logic. And, and that's usually the story that we get where we'll meet with folks that have a pretty amazing model that they use for making really important decisions. And it's a thing that really evolved over time. And it changed both as they continued to come up with new creative ways they could use the product. But it also changed because just in general, like the business changes and things like that, right? And that's the beauty of Excel is that unlike a vertical tool where it may work off the shelf, but if all of a sudden, you know, next month you decide that you want to track things a little bit differently, sometimes it's really hard to go and change to have, have those vertical tools change. You almost need to go back to the vendor. Whereas with Excel, if, if the people that are driving the business process are the ones that actually built the spreadsheet, then it's pretty easy for them to go and make the changes to their model to adjust. Yeah, no, that, that, I think that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That whatever your domain expertise is, you know, in business or engineering or whatever it is, then it's easy enough to get to learn how to use it. So you don't need to be a programmer, like you said right at the beginning, and you can create some really powerful applications with what is, uh, you know, kind of relatively easy functions to learn. You, you can learn the functions you need to. There's a huge number of them there, and um, most of us never go near the vast majority of them, I should think. But there are so many that um, you can accomplish amazing things. I usually talk to the team and when we talk to customers and stuff about, you know, Excel is a programming language, not in a way to like intimidate folks, right? It's more for us to think about how we think about that flexibility. But, you know, if you think about that combination, like the soul of the product being the grid and formulas and the fact that you can go and lay out a set of logic and you can see as it, as it falls through the grid, you can kind of see the different steps of your program and how they're executing along the way, right? And so even the most successful programming languages out there, like you look at things like JavaScript or Python that have huge adoption, they're like orders of magnitude less than the number of people that know how to write Excel formulas, right? Like Excel formulas, we're talking hundreds of millions of people, right? There are countries that will do, and we've seen reports where countries have done in their census studies of do you know spreadsheet formula languages? And it ends up being like half the population or more knows how to write spreadsheet formulas, right? It's kind of funny that that would be in the census, but that's actually... It a, is. That's amazing. I've got it's a, a true story too, actually. <laughs> we, we're just doing ours this month. Probably doesn't have that. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I haven't looked yet. <laughs> but yeah, that's the beauty of having something where you really allow the people that have the need to go and self-serve and build their own solutions. And I had this when I ran the extensibility team that for that team, we would, a lot of our time, we would spend more with like IT and system integrators and stuff who are building add-ons on top of office. And you typically, when you'd go and talk to the IT departments, you'd see, you know, for one, they were only able to fund about at the most, maybe 
15, 20% of the proposed projects at any time, right? They just didn't have the funding. And so most business units would come with proposed projects that they need and they wouldn't be able to get IT support. And then when you would look at the projects they were funding and then what's the next project that they were going to fund, usually it was the next round of iteration on an existing project because they would know that they're going to go and build it, but they're not the ones that are using it. So they're trying to build it as best they understand the business needs, but they know they're going to release it, have realize that they didn't quite meet the needs and go and iterate on it. Right. And that's just the general, that's the challenge of, you know, trying to build something for somebody else. Right. Uh, you always kind of, kind of miss some things, right. You're trying to anticipate what they might need, aren't you? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, cause it's, and it's going to change, right? Like that's the other key thing is any, any IT project, it's usually focused on things that are pretty strategic to that company, right? Stuff that's, that you view as IP your differentiators, those are usually those things that you continue to evolve, right? And so the odds are that that project you built is going to have to change and evolve too. Whereas if you can go and build the thing in Excel and the people who are defining and driving those processes are the ones that can go and build it, they can continue to evolve and adapt that spreadsheet or that model, right? As the, as the business evolves. Yeah. Okay. So you've kind of answered this and it, and it might be that there's just no standard way to approach it, but if you're a new user, is there a recommended approach to try and grasp the core parts of Excel and, you know, or does it just completely depend on which domain you're operating in and, and so on? Or do you just leave that up to other people? <laughs> we continue to try and get better at this. And so it's, a, it's one that, that we look at a lot. Like Excel is this well, well-loved program. We have this way of measuring user satisfaction with a product by a thing called NPS, Net Promoter Score. It's something you probably see a lot of products use it. Anytime you've had a survey that says, how likely are you to recommend this to other people that you're filling out an NPS survey? And it's usually a scale of one to five or one to 10. And Excel has the highest NPS of any product that we have. And the reason is, the reason people love it so much is because it's this indispensable tool, right? It's an extension of their brain. It's a way that they go and do their jobs better, right? But it's also a thing that we all go and talk to more novice users. One of the places we're having a lot of discussions right now is in uh, education uh, with teachers. It is really an intimidating tool for a lot of people. If you think about the experiences that we give you when you go and first launch Excel, you know, we're, we're a little old school still there where we kind of assume you're there, you know what it's for, and you're just going to start going, right? Like there's not a, there's not what we would call like a great first run experience where we kind of go and uh, describe the product to you and kind of show you how you can get started. Think about any game you've tried, any modern game, right? Where like the first like 10 minutes of your interactivity of the game, it kind of guides you through, you know, here's how you swing a sword and here's how you go and like pick up the gold or whatever. Right. And, uh, We've started to look more at that. The the things that we do right now and the right to answer your question, the right, the best ways to get started, everybody has different learning styles. And so we have to, we kind of come at it from a number of different ways. Templates are a big one that we've, we've continued to spend more time on. And so there's some getting started templates. We have templates that help you learn how to use things like pivot tables or charts or things like that. Some of the more advanced formulas. We also, you know, LinkedIn is part of Microsoft now, and we have a bunch of LinkedIn learning around Excel. We continue. To, we've started to do uh, YouTube videos, although that one, most of the great YouTube videos out there, we're not creating ourselves. We're working with kind of our the the ecosystem. There's a bunch of our MVPs that have uh, high numbers of subscriptions, and they they have a bunch of great content up there. I think that we're seeing 
especially like the younger generation, that's kind of really the way that they like to learn more is through videos. I'm not as big of a fan of it myself. I kind of like just having like a an example that I can just go and start playing with, which is more like the template model. Uh, so we're trying a bunch of different ways. And one of the things you'll probably start to see us do more of is the in-product learning. And so we have a lot more intelligence now, a lot of AI that we've built where we can kind of capture patterns of what people are doing and see either is there a better way of doing it or should we just go and at least pop up some help to help people if we kind of see that they're stuck or if we see that, you know, they're not taking advantage of the product in ways like a simple example of that that we're, we've started to experiment a bit with is pivot tables. You know, pivot tables are pretty intimidating for the large percentage of our of our user base. But the people that do know how to use them, I, I mean, they're amazing, right? Like most people, like when I talk to customers, most people can remember the first time they saw a pivot table and how blown away they were, right? We'll see a lot of times that people will be manually trying to create a pivot table where they'll go and write a bunch of sum formulas if they even know how to go and use the formula language and they'll go and kind of manually figure out like they'll filter a table down and they'll go and do a sum of the remaining results and then they'll go and copy that value and paste it down to another sheet and then they'll do that again and again and again. So we're looking at things like that where we could go and say, hey, here's a feature that why don't we just, we'll suggest the pivot table to you and let you go and insert it. And so the easiest place for people to see some of that AI tech right now is uh, if you click on the uh, ideas button on the home tab, it's this little lightning bolt. We used to call it Harry Potter that uh, shows up kind of off on the on the right side. And if you go and launch that, you'll see a task pane pop up that will go. If you, if you have a table of data, it'll go and scan that data and kind of give you suggested pivot tables and charts and things like that. Try and see if there's any interesting things going on in your data. So we're going to do more around intelligence to kind of try and make the application more approachable to the novice user so they can really get started. Yeah, I've actually noticed that myself with... Uh... I was slightly terrified of the idea of dynamic arrays when you first uh, started talking about that because, you know, array formerly were a little bit um, of a dark art for most people before that. But, you know, when I've seen it now in uh, the Office 365 version, you know, if the first time you encounter it, then there's a little help pops up and, and explains it to you. And I actually think the implementation of it has been great because, you know, you don't, it doesn't feel intimidating at all. And, you know, I think most people will be able to cope with that. And, and you know, with that sort of assistance that you're getting, it's just great stuff. And, and you know, little things like that that uh, just pop up in a timely manner. And, and somehow it's a lot less irritating than the, the, uh, the old paperclip, the, the, the clippy that, that we used to get. So I think AI has come a long way since then. But uh, it, it has, yeah. I mean, you can kind of think of clippy as like uh... – it wasn't cloud connected, right? So it's kind of like, you know, sending the uh, the mission to Mars and then you kind of have lost all contact and you're hoping that that thing you built can kind of go and like work on its own. And at the time, like that was pretty hard for Clippy to work on its own. But now uh, a lot of the stuff that we have is able to go and be cloud connected so it can kind of learn and get smarter over time. Yeah, I just thought, yeah, that wasn't one of your patents, was it? I haven't just insulted you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, it was not. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> and, and if it had been, I, I wouldn't have been insulted. Like the a, a lot of the tech behind Clippy actually laid a lot of the groundwork, even though it was a it was a bit ahead of its time. And and you know, one of the biggest issues with it was just that the set of suggestions just weren't super helpful. Right? Like I can kind of write a letter. That's not that's not like the biggest thing that's kind of holding me back is 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 writing a letter, right? As opposed to like really helping you go and kind of learn more of the some of the more advanced part of the products, which 
the example that you gave around dynamic arrays is a great one where you can, you know, that's a, for most, most folks at the beginning, that's going to be a pretty mind blowing concept. Right. And so trying to help people ease into learning this pretty, pretty complex, but like incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful concept. Yeah, sure. It's, I, I hadn't been convinced of how useful it would be, I think, before. But, you know, some of the new functions, that's actually a nice segue into functions. Actually, some of those functions do make life so much easier, if, particularly working with lists and so on, you know, if you're looking for uniques and, and that sort of thing. So and I, I've been quite struck over the last couple of years. There seems to have been a real acceleration in, in sort of new features for a long time. As you say, I suppose it was the, the three-year releases, but... Uh, since um you know most or i don't know how many people are on subscription basis now but uh yeah that that's the direction the product's been going in so you've got things like as uh, a dynamic arrays and new functions like the lambda and let which are you know more kind of programmy <laughs> type functions they're a little more complex actually and and some of those feel a bit to me like they're aimed at you know what you might call power users but then there's a whole bunch of others as well, which are just updates or overcoming some of the limitations. So XLOOKUP being a good example. So, you know, is, is that, uh, that, that that sort of change, that new acceleration fleet of foot approach, is that something that you've just been able to do now because of the shorter cycle of, of uh, release? It's actually a, a bit of a mix. The fact that you see the things rolling out, kind of uh, that there's a cadence around those new capabilities rolling out over time, is definitely part of that that shift where we're not having to bundle everything up. And it also means that we can go and release a thing and really quickly see: did we get it right, or do we need to go and make some adjustments, or should it cause us to rethink our entire strategy? Right, which which we didn't really have before. We'd kind of bundle everything up and then it all come out all at once. There also have just been some really large, large projects over the past five years, like all of the collaborative authoring, the ability to go and edit a spreadsheet at the same time. I mean, really, that's like the quote for us, the equivalent of landing someone on the moon. It's the complexity of Excel. If you just think of like the calc engine and all the things you can do and getting it so that you can have a mobile phone, a Mac client, a Windows client, a web client, all where the logic is kind of executing at different spots, but all staying in sync at the same time as we're all making edits. That's massive. There was a massive project and we continue to go and work on that. But that was a huge, huge chunk of our team for several years. And so that's something that we started releasing finally, you know, about two years ago. And we're now able to start to shift more to kind of what we would think of as more the higher level capabilities. A lot of it was just the first wave of just getting the fundamentals but now you'll you'll start to see more on the collab space, for instance, uh, features rolling out that are, you know, like making it easier to go and kind of manage what kind of edits have happened and what changes you've seen and things like that. Right. Uh, just as an example, on the on the core, I'd, I, what we kind of think of is like the core calc grid model. That's also been a there's been a large amount of infrastructure that we've had to go and build like data types, the data types feature. The idea that the cell itself can have not just be a number or text, but can actually be a rich value, right? Like a, it can be a customer that has a whole bunch of properties about it, but that all flows through calc. Like you can write formulas against that, that gets passed through. That was a massive, massive project that 
we're still just scratching the surface in terms of how we're actually going to go and use it. So you'll see us now kind of rapidly start to roll out more capabilities on top of that infrastructure. Like the first thing we released about two years ago was stocks and geography as two data types. But the bigger deal was the underlying infrastructure that allowed for that. Most enterprises that we talk to, they care much more about being able to have data types from their own business, right? Like I want to go and have a list of my customers that have all the properties around them. I want to be able to look at that customer and know, is that accurate data? What source did that come from? When was the last refreshed, right? Like was that knowing that's not just something that somebody copy and paste it over, but it actually really is, it's a customer object, right? Like I know that that, you know, if it's an inventory, I know that that sale price is the actual right sale price, right? Like those are all things that we are now starting to light up on top of that infrastructure. And a lot of that is also true with Calc. We did a bunch of work. Calc is the term we use for our formula language and the process that executes the formulas. The things like the like arrays, that was a long project. And the thing that's so much different, like you said, like the old way that we had arrays, it was almost more like, this way that the grid in Excel just kind of handled the fact that, that that sometimes you could have a result that was multiple values, whereas the new infrastructure that we built, it really is an array is a native part of Calc. Like I can go and reference an array of values just with one formula and I can go and do manipulation against those. Right. So if you think about a lot of that data manipulation where you have a data set and you want to start doing manipulations like, you know, sorting, filtering, changing values, things like that. All of those can now pass through Calc. And so you'll see even more from us over the coming years uh, evolving on top of that array infrastructure. And then Lambda is really similar. You're right. Lambda's right now, as it was released, is, is a pretty geeky feature. And that's where a lot of the excitement came. Like it's actually in many ways, it's, it's a really exciting concept from a computer science perspective. And it's something that we worked really heavily with Microsoft Research on. Uh, there's a group actually just north of you in Cambridge that we've partnered with for several years uh, around all of this stuff. And it's really about evolving Excel to really be a proper programming language. And then on the product team, our our responsibility is to take that and make it approachable to the average Excel user. So right now, Lambdas are pretty geeky, not not super approachable, but they still are incredibly powerful. And so that's the people who are advanced are getting really excited. The next wave is we start to make it more approachable and easier for general people to create their own logic that can be reused, right? So they can go and build out a model and say, okay, cool, I now have inputs and outputs and I want to go and call this from multiple places in my other workbooks, right? Like that's the evolution you'll start to see building on top of that infrastructure. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, almost mind-blowing where this could all go. You know, it seems to be you know, exploding rather than, it's, it's not like you're running out of ideas. <laughs> You've got more ideas than you can you can get into the product, uh, you know, in any given time frame. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We're keen to hear your thoughts on this episode, so please do get in touch at info at numeritas.co.uk. If you'd like to find out more about Brian, you can check out his LinkedIn profile, and you'll find a link to that in the show notes accompanying this episode. The Forward Thinking CFO podcast is brought to you by the team at Numeritas, your financial modelling partner. We are trusted modelling advisors to global leaders ranging from FTSE 100 corporations to major infrastructure providers to fund managers with billions under management. 
But we are more than just modelers. Our team are true experts who understand your business and create solutions to help you overcome your challenges and give you the confidence that you need to make your critical business decisions. To find out more about how we can help you solve your toughest business challenges, please visit our website at numeritas.co.uk.